You have your Bibles? Turn to 2 Thessalonians, if you will, please. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and uh, we'll read verse 3, and uh, keep your Bibles open. We'll kind of uh, meander our way through uh, 2 Thessalonians. So th- 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. If we continue talking about the big picture, one book a night, and uh, trying to get the uh, big idea uh, from this book, it's um, different from what we do on Sunday mornings usually, and often on Wednesday nights we dig into three or four verses, but uh, tonight we'll take a look at this book and see what the main theme hopefully is. So look, if you will, in verse 3, and uh, you see in Paul's um, prayer for the Thessalonians, you can see really um, the heart he has for this church and kind of the theme of the book. In verse 3, New International Version, says, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Well, some things uh, you want to end and some things you hope never ends, right? Some things you want to to end, some things you hope never ends. I uh, read about a guy who said that when he was little, his grandpa always had candy for him. Every time he went to his grandfather's house, uh, his grandpa was the candy man. He'd always reach in his pocket, you know, and pull out, and he'd got some candy there for him. Well, when this young guy was like six, seven years old, he had to go to the hospital, got sick, had to go to the hospital. And so his grandpa came to visit him in the hospital. His dad was going to go down and get some, um, get some supper. But his dad knew, his gra- knew the grandpa, and he's like, all right, you can't give him any candy while he's in the hospital. And grandpa's like, I'm not going to give him any, any candy. Turn your pockets inside out. <laughs> so he, grandpa turns his pockets inside out, no candy anywhere. All right, so the dad goes and gets his, um, gets his lunch, and grandpa takes his hat off, and there's his candy. <laughs> Some things you just don't ever want to end, right? <laughs> you know, grandpas are always the kind of guys that that give. I read about one lady. She's a um, caregiver at a, at a assisted living place. And uh, she had a 93-year-old resident that she was responsible for. And so one day she came in and her resident had some new flowers. And she said, I want you to, to water my flowers. But she was just very particular about them. And uh, she said it took her 20 minutes to get it right. She says, water, no, that's not right. Water, no, that's not right. Water, no, that's not right. And so finally, she got it. Finally, she got it. She said, is that good enough? She said, yeah, that's good enough. She said, now, look at those flowers really carefully. And they were artificial. <laughs> she said, April fools, go get me some coffee. And so you love it when the sense of humor never runs out, right? You want one of those things just to keep on going. Uh, there's some things we hope will end. We hope sickness ends, right? love for inflation to end. We'd love for family disagreements to end. We would love for anxiety to end, right? Depression we would love to end. Meanness. <laughs> and that's just somebody that's talking about the other day, like, that's just meanness. We'd love for meanness to end in our world. Crime, um, commercials that you cannot watch with your children and hardly with your spouse. And we'd love for some of those to end. Uh, pain, you love for that to end. And so tonight as we look at 2 Thessalonians, we're going to see but there's some good things that are never going to end, and there's some bad things that God will put an end to. And he writes to the Thessalonians, uh, 2 Thessalonians, probably just, probably just several months after 1 Thessalonians, and he addresses some of the same uh, issues. He gets a report back, 
And uh, he hears that uh, some of the things he wrote about in 1 Thessalonians, uh, surprise of all surprises, one letter doesn't cure it all. And uh, surprise of all surprises, uh, reading one book, saying one prayer, hearing one sermon, uh, is not going to cure all of our problems or all of our spiritual ills. We are continually to grow. So, but Paul saw that there were some issues here that he wanted to address again. So he shoots off another letter uh, to deal with some of the continuing questions, some continuing hurts some continuing confusion that's going on in the Thessalonican church. Now, it's a good church. It's a really good church. He says their faith is growing. Their love for each other is increasing. I mean, when you look at verse 3 there, you see, yeah, you do thank God. That's the kind of church you want to be a part of, a church whose faith is growing and their love for one another is increasing all the time. And yet, they are human beings. And when human beings' faith is growing and their love is increasing, they're still not perfect. <laughs> they still got some issues. There's still some difficulties going on. And they live around human beings who do not possess their faith and whose love is not growing. And so that's going to create some conflict for these guys as well. There are people that are doing stuff that God does not like, doing stuff to these Christian people that God does not like. And so that's creating a lot of issues for them as well. <clears throat> and so we're dealing with some things here that's not new right? Every once in a while, people in our day and age think there's some new idea going on, you know? Now, obviously, there's new phones and there's new inventions and things like that. I got tickled, was this a couple of years ago, the big bedazzling craze was on. People were bedazzling their shoes and bedazzling casts and their hats. And I thought, anybody thinks this new ain't never seen Porter Wagner. <laughs> <laughs> He was bedazzling before any of these folks ever came along. If you've never heard of Porter Wagner, just Google Porter Wagner and you got the king of bedazzling right there. There's more shiny stuff going on anybody ought to have on them at one time. So we're going to take a look at this and see three important words, three important words that he deals with these three issues that he's dealing with. And, and for us tonight, hopefully to receive some encouragement, um, you know, not necessarily to be like the Thessalonians, but to be a church whose faith is growing and whose love for each other is increasing. In order to do that, we need three things. One is we see uh, Paul's comfort. Uh, the word comfort here I use as a word for encouragement uh, to help them deal with the persecution. These are people who are walking with Jesus and because they are being faithful to Christ because they love Jesus and because they're working with him, as a result of that, they are getting resistance. Uh, it's not because they are doing things wrong. It's not because they're off track. It's because they are loving Jesus and are working with Jesus. Now, for me, in my life, um, most of the things I've caught some real heat about or have suffered for are stupid things I've done. It's when I've disobeyed Jesus. A lot of times in my life, the times I've obeyed Jesus, uh, I've kind of been, I've kind of gotten good out of it, right? Especially when I was younger, my 20s and 30s, uh, ask a blessing in a restaurant, somebody come by and say, hey, really good to see a young person like you asking the blessing. I don't think I've ever been persecuted for asking the blessing in a restaurant. Where even today, wear a Christian t-shirt. Uh, I've never, I don't think I've ever had anybody say, uh, you're stupid for wearing a Christian t-shirt. I've had a lot of people say, man, I like your shirt. Like your... And we're used to that, right? We're used to that. And so we're not really used to uh, catching resistance for following Jesus. This church has, because 
They love Jesus. They're rejecting a lot of the idols and the ways and the values and the morals uh, of their parents, grandparents, friends, business associates. Because of that, they are being talked about. They are being mistreated. They may be left out of, you know, the family meal. They're probably losing money, may have lost their jobs. Uh, Who knows what else is going on? And so they're living in some fear of what the next thing coming down the road is because they love Christ, not because it's just a hard time, but because they're following uh, Jesus. And it's hard for us to believe, it's hard for me to grasp. But every mission thing I read says there's more people being persecuted for their faith today than ever before. And it's hard for us because while we might catch a minor inconvenience for following Jesus, we don't, I don't catch a lot of out-and-out hatred, a lot of out-and-out resistance. I was reading about a guy named Simon in Burkina Faso where uh, he got an audio Bible from some missionaries, uh, began listening to the audio Bible, got a connection with some, um, some radio programs. He became a Christian and uh, rejected the uh, idol worship that's very popular in Burkina Faso. A lot of the things that they do there he uh, did not do because it did not match up, match up with the Christian faith. And uh, just a couple of months ago, this was just a couple of months ago, his dad died, and uh, he's the oldest son in the family, so he wanted to help uh, participate in the burial for his dad, but uh, because it required animal sacrifices and things like that, he was not be willing to do that and would not go along with that, and so when he showed up for the funeral, uh, the people of the town, including some of his relatives, uh, began to beat him and his family at the funeral. Um, his wife was beat, uh, and so she grabbed the kids and, uh, and ran off into the bush. He was beat unconscious. Today, that was back just like two months ago. Today, Simon is still in a coma, and they don't know where his wife and children are. They ran off and hid in the bushes. They don't know where they are. That sounds so foreign to us, doesn't it? And yet, I sign, I'm signed up on the Voice of the Martyrs, one of the best organizations I know of to deal with the persecuted church. And I get an email every week with about three stories that's kind of similar to that. You know, every week I get this. And so it's, it's hard for us to kind of put ourselves in that kind of a, a situation to realize that people are being persecuted, being hurt, they're being mistreated because they follow Jesus. Look at Second Thessalonians. What do you do? When you're faced with somebody that mistreats you. Now, for most of us, it's going to be being left out of a friend group. It's going to be called names, maybe. I've had, had people tell me, I'm silly for following Jesus or silly for giving my life to the ministry and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11, the New Living Translation. And we see in Paul's prayer how to respond, what his prayer for them as they're being persecuted and how he encourages them. He says, so we keep on praying for you, which means we should pray for each other when we're having a hard time, right? Asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. Now, worthy of his call, Jesus suffered, right? Jesus was crucified. Jesus was mistreated. Jesus was persecuted. And all of his followers were. And so when we live a life of persecution, life we're being mistreated because of our faith, we need to remember that is becoming like Christ. That's part of walking the way of Jesus. And so Paul says, we're praying for you to don't give up. That doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It it might mean you're doing something right. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored. Because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. Not honored in this world, honored in the next world. 
This is all made possible because of the grace of our Lord, uh, and, uh, of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. So a couple of things of encouragement here. Number one, if you're suffering because you walk with Jesus, it's obvious that suffering should not be taken as an indication of divine disfavor. In other words, they're not suffering because God's mad at them. This is not God's punishment. This is not God being displeased with them. Paul wants them to understand, look, you're doing the right thing. You're doing a good thing, and you're suffering for it. That's like Christ. It's like Peter did. It's like Paul did. It's like almost everybody that the Old Testament did. And so he's trying to encourage them that this is because you're doing right. Don't give up. Don't quit. God is honored. God is pleased with what you're doing. Remember, when we suffer well as a Christian, that honors God. So it's not a, a situation of divine disfavor. Second thing, remember the source of suffering which the church has experienced is not God, but Satan. Don't blame God for what the devil is doing. What he doesn't want them to do is back up on Jesus. And that's his big concern. He doesn't want them to quit the faith. He doesn't want them to think, well, God's being mean to them because of this. Don't blame God for this. Uh, when I was at my first church, I had a couple of friends and um, they went out golfing and um, it'd be like a couple of us going out golfing. They didn't really know how to golf a whole lot. You know, they's out there whacking at the ball, you know. And so one, guy, one of my buddies, his name was Billy. He was out in the middle of the fairway, oddly enough. It was an odd place for, for us to be. I wasn't with them. But, the, but his buddy had hit his ball in a ditch. And he's driving the golf cart. And he's looking in the ditch for his golf ball. And he turned it over. Turn the golf cart over on top of him. Turn the golf cart over on top of him. And you know what he did? He jumped up and went, come on, Billy. <laughs> was like, what are you hollering at me for? I'm out here in the middle of the fairway. I didn't turn the golf cart over. But that's what Christians do a lot of times. Satan does stuff and we say, come on, God. And God's like, I didn't do it. <laughs> you know? And, and I, I can remember one time in particular, it was really, really, frustrated with the Lord because I wanted him to do something that he wasn't doing. Anybody ever do that? You just frustrate. I wanted God to act a certain way and some people were being mean and, 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 and hurting me and, and I'm like, God, why did you allow this to happen? And the only answer I ever got was God said, I didn't hear God say anything, but the thing that came to me was God saying, they're doing the exact opposite what I told them to do. <laughs> I'm not doing this. I don't like it either. I'm mad, you know, I'm displeased, mad, angry, whatever. I don't like what they're doing here. They're doing different than what I said. This is not me. I'm not the cause of this. I didn't tell them to do this. I'm not behind this. This is really the enemy that's behind this. The third thing is, let your suffering be a way of honoring Jesus. And here's one of the cool things. Whatever your suffering is, it might be that you're persecuted. You're suffering because you love Jesus. But it may be sickness. It may be misunderstanding. It may be financial, whatever it is. But here's what I've learned over the last several years is you can take your suffering, whatever it is, and say, Jesus, I want to honor you with this. I want to please you with this. This is not necessarily because of my faith, but whatever it is, Lord, in the middle of this, I want to bring glory to Christ. Look, if you will, in uh, verses 11 and 12. And so we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power, I love this, to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way that you live. Some of the things that we honor as God is things that our faith 
prompts us. I love the way that reads. Our faith prompts us to do. When you're suffering, when you're going through a hard time, if you stay faithful to God and you love God and you try to walk with God, your faith will prompt you to do something. Not necessarily that God shouts, you know, you must do this. But you just say, you know, I'm supposed to live in kindness. I'm supposed to live in grace. I'm supposed to live in love. I'm supposed to be a servant to other people. So your faith, even though you're hurting, even though it's difficult, your faith still causes you to reach out. And that honors Jesus. The other thing I would say here is that the hard stuff's temporary. The hard stuff is temporary. It will not last forever. And all God's people said... Praise God, it doesn't last forever. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. And to give you who are troubled, rest. And uh, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word rest is a word that means relief. It's a word that the picture would be like, uh, guitar string is stretched tight and it's under pressure. And this word rest means you release it. And so this word rest means God releasing the pressure on you. And what he says is one day those who are causing the trouble, and for us who may, not, may our trouble may be something different from persecution, God's going to release the pressure on us. He's going to release that up. And here in verse 8 he says that Jesus is going to come in flaming fire and take vengeance on those that don't know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you drifted off a little bit, come back here real quick for a second. He's talking about Jesus there. And for those who try to say, you know, Jesus is simply kind and meek and always does the nice thing, uh, he's coming back as king and judge. And there's no way to soft-pedal that. I mean, there's no way to say, well, what he really means is everybody goes to heaven. <laughs> there's no way to say that. And, and flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who don't go God, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The people uh, that we know and people that we pray for and people that re reject Christ and turn away from Christ, that is the ultimate tragedy. And that really should be when we pray about things. And, um, and I praise God that several of our folks here pray, God, break our heart with things that break your heart. Those that don't know Christ, that should be top of the list, right? Those who want nothing to do with Jesus get their desire ultimately. And that is their ultimate tragedy. So sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you feel like, man, how long is this going to last? I just want to encourage you, it doesn't last forever. Uh, in a time of, um, of mental weakness, I decided to run a marathon one time, and uh, it was back in 2001, and um, I trained for it and got ready for it, and no, because I ran one back in 2001 does not mean I can run one today. <laughs> that is something that's a very specialized deal, but uh, in running it, um, I was amazed at how well I did for the first 21 miles. Uh, I remember at mile 13 thinking, I think I could run all day. Um, that ended <laughs> at around mile 21, 22, and then I thought, I don't think I can put my, pick my foot up one more step. <laughs> and uh, those last four or five miles, which you think, wow, you're on 20 miles, what's four or five? It's torture is what it is. 
Good night. I didn't think I'd ever get there. And uh, I thought, I, I, I seriously thought at one point, it was the last several miles was through a neighborhood. And so I got in this one place and I didn't see any other runners around. And, and they had the mile markers. And I was convinced I'd ran 17 miles that I had not seen the next mile marker. And I thought I'd gotten lost. I just knew I'd run, I knew I'd run at least two or three miles, finally found the next mile marker. And when I got to the last turn, there was a guy there and he was hollering, don't give up. The finish is just around the corner. It's just around the corner. And I honestly can't remember if I said this out loud or if I said it in my head. I've been thinking, I can't remember, but I remember looking at him and saying either in my head or, or out loud, you better not be lying. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I said this next part uh, uh, in my head because if you're lying, I'm coming back and I'm going to beat you into the ground right here. Now, that's not Pastor Barry. That's tired marathon running Barry responding to that because I thought, man, I, I just can't go any further. And here's the thing. God's going to enable us to go all the way to the finish. And the hard stuff, our hard stuff is going to end one day. Second thing I want you to see. First of all, he brings encouragement to the church. Keep going. The good things are going to last. What you're doing is worth it. It's going to honor Jesus. And, it's all, and it's going to end, the hard stuff's going to end one day. And Grandpa's still going to have candy in his pockets, right? Your God's still going to rejoice to do you good. Second thing is clarity. And this clarity is about the second coming of Jesus. And he mentioned this in the first book to, Thessalon to the Thessalonians in every chapter of 1 Thessalonians he mentioned or alluded to the second coming of Christ. And still, it's still disputed. It's still a problem. They're still not sure about it. Uh, still haven't figured it out. Uh, some have said the day of the Lord's already come, which you can imagine now. They don't have the New Testament. They don't, they just had Paul for a couple of months. And so it's very new. It's very odd. It's very different for them. And so they don't have anybody to go ask, you know. And so they don't have a Christian radio station to go to. They can't go to a revival. And the false teachers seemingly from this passage, we look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 too, it seems like they are saying, we got letters from Paul that says the day of the Lord's already come. Look at Thessalonians 2 too. Now, if you believe Jesus is coming back, and all the Christians are going to be raptured out, and you think that's already happened and you're left, that's bad news. I don't know if this has ever happened. It's happened to me one time when I was about 10, 11 years old. Um, I was at the house. I think I've told some of you this before. I was at the house, and I guess my mama told me she was going next door, but I didn't hear her, and she was gone, and I couldn't find her anywhere. And it was about that time I was really under conviction about being saved. And um, I couldn't find her anywhere, and I got scared that the rapture had happened, and I got left. I mean, if you're lost, you ought to believe that, right? And I went outside, and there was no cars on the street. There was nobody around. And I thought, nobody outside playing. And I finally saw one guy, and it was this long-haired hippie guy with cigarettes pulled up. And I like, yeah, me and him. <laughs> <laughs> Not encouraging at <laughs> all. Me and, uh, me and cigarette guy would have rolled up in his, in his uh, shoulder there, you know, look like he's probably doing drugs on the weekend or something. I'm not being judgmental. That's a 12-year-old boy who's afraid he got left, right? So look at what he says here in uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 2. I really did. I was scared to death. I was so glad to see my mama. Not scared enough to get saved, but I was still glad. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say the day of the Lord has already begun. 
Don't believe them even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. And so Paul goes on in in chapter 2 and he he says two things basically. One is he says, Jesus is coming back. It's not happened yet, but he is. There's never a doubt. There's never a possibly. There's never a maybe. He truly, truly is coming back. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, the New International Version, it says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus, not concerning the possibility, the maybe, or a good idea, or anything like that, concerning the coming. There's no way I can get it, no way I can get at that that's anything but true. It's so clearly taught all through Scripture. No ifs, ands, maybes anywhere in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, or anything else. The good thing about the Thessalonians is they took it seriously. Really believed Christ could come back at any time, and that's the way we're all to live. But Paul goes on to say it hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened yet. And he he shares a little bit about uh, the fact that while the coming of Christ is set, God has set that in place, nobody knows when. You don't know when, I don't know when, anybody tries to set a date, doesn't know when. And he gives them a little bit of a clue here. Um, look at verses 3 and 4, New International Version. Um, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for this, uh, that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. And so Paul is talking about this future time of tribulation. When you compare this passage, I believe, when you compare this passage with other passages, Daniel, Matthew, places like that, I believe he's talking about the Antichrist here. The Antichrist is going to come, he's going to set himself up, he's going to be deceptive, seemingly going to be able to do miracles, going to set himself up as God, declare himself as God. Because here's the thing, Satan's desire is to overthrow God. His desire is to overthrow Christ and to control what God controls. That's what God he kicked out of heaven to start with. And he's looking for an opportunity uh, to do that. In fact, this passage gives you the idea that Satan is just kind of on the look for a way to make this come about. And God's restraining him. God's not allowing him to do that. Why? Because he has to, whether he wants to or not, Satan has to work on God's timetable. <laughs> I think that if Satan had his way... This would have already happened. He's already, uh, in fact, I was reading several, John MacArthur's one, several commentators who believe that Satan tried to do it through Hitler uh, in Hitler's day. That, there's no way you and I could know that for sure. But boy, it kind of lends that direction, doesn't it? You can kind of see Satan trying to, to get this guy, get this person, get this Antichrist in power to exalt himself where people worship him, buy into his theology, buy into to his, and be able to work, to work supernatural wonders. Jesus said, even the very elect, if it were possible, that even the very elect would be deceived. Look in verse 6. A new international version. And now you know what's holding him back. So that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he's taken out of the way. And so he said there's an antichrist coming. He's going to try to overthrow God. He's going to set himself up seemingly in the temple uh, to try to create this worldwide religion where people worship him. But Paul says there's a restrainer that won't let him happen yet. He says, you know what it is. The reason they know is because Paul told them. And we wish he'd have wrote it back down. 
<laughs> because when you get to verse 7 uh, and you start reading commentaries, there's about eight different versions, of what, or eight different translations of what this is. Some say it's the Roman Empire, um, and it just goes on and on and on. Uh, my best idea of what the restrainer is, because to me, if you're going to restrain the Antichrist, you're going to train Satan, who's going to be the power behind the Antichrist, he's got to be supernatural. Uh, I don't think something like Rome or something like that would have the power to do that. So I think the restraining, uh, the, the restrainer is the Holy Spirit, and that happens at the rapture of the church. Uh, not that the Holy Spirit's taken from, uh, from here. Uh, they're still gonna, he's still going to be at work, but his work's going to be different during the tribulation than it is right now. And so I, I believe that's, that's, that's the only, and I've read a lot of translations this week, a lot of interpretations this week. That's the only one that really lines up with me with the rest of Scripture is that when the Holy Spirit uh, raptures, the, when the rapture of the church comes, the Holy Spirit takes on a different role during tribulation. Uh, that's when the Antichrist will really uh, be manifested. Now look at verse 16. So how do you pray? How do you deal? What do you deal with in, in the middle of this um, the confusion about the coming of Christ, confusion about when it's going to happen, confusion about all the events that happens right up before that? Look in verse 16. May our Lord Jesus himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. I think this is what Paul is saying. And I think it's a good word for us. He says, you haven't missed anything. It's future. All these people who say it's already happened or they're setting dates and all this country, they said they have letters from us. Don't get distracted by that from living for Christ today. Don't get so wrapped up in this kind of thing and sidetracked by discussions and ideas that don't help you live with and for Jesus right now. That's one reason why I've limited um, uh, my news intake. I do believe that you should watch the news some. We, I think we need to know what's going on. It helps us know to pray about what's going on. Uh, social media is however much you want to spend on it. I don't spend a whole lot on that. And part of it is I'm tempted to get all riled up about things that I can't do anything about. And I want to spend my time serving people and loving people and teaching God's word and discipling people, helping people that I can help here and now and not get distracted on something that's really not going to be profitable. And I think that's something that we really need to pay attention to in our day and time. Who can we serve? Who can we love? Who do we pray for right now? And don't get sidetracked by something that we can't help with. The second thing, though, is he will come back victorious. <laughs> He will come back, and he's coming back as king. He's coming back as judge. He's coming back victorious. And so you're on the right side of things. You're on the right side of the game. The, the biggest decision of anybody's life is to give their heart and life to Jesus and then live in anticipation, the encouragement that he could come back at any time. And I've had people, I've had people in this church and people in other churches that are um, sick and going through hard times and some have gone into surgeries. And um, uh, I've had people tell me on several different occasions, uh, I said, look, I'm really, really going to be praying for you. And they said to me, I win either way. If God heals me, I win. If I die, 
I'll win. Why? Because I'm going to go and be with Christ. So Christ is coming back victorious. You and I can look forward to that because what? This is a good thing. Jesus is going to end it all and end it right and on his timetable. This is not in the hands of the politicians. It's not in the hands of Biden or Putin or Ukraine or or, uh, North Korea or anything else. God has this in his hands, and that's where our encouragement comes from. Which leads us to the last point, which which is a challenge to the idol. A challenge to the idol. Now, you've never heard of this before. This is going to be shocking to you. But there are some people in the Thessalonican church who did not want to do a hard day's work for a living. Imagine that. (laughs) They did not want to work at a job and earn their own way. They wanted to live off of other people. That is just shocking in our day and time, is it not? Does that sound like the newspaper did there, right? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work, and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. I think if Paul was alive, I think if they had Facebook and social media that day, and he would say, and take their social media away from them until they get a job. <laughs> As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. And maybe the idol were waiting for Jesus to come back. Maybe they're just lazy. Who knows what it was? But he's saying, you know, to sit around and just wait is not the idea. That's not the solution to this. And uh, very few of you are lazy. But here's the thing we, we need to be a reminder about. A hard worker at the job can be lazy as a parent. A hard worker at a career can be lazy as a spouse. A hard worker at home can be lazy at church. And a hard worker at church can be lazy at home. And so we are all tempted to be idle, lazy, a little bit slothful in some area of our life. I've seen people that work extremely hard, work, I mean, just work as hard as they can work, but they're lazy at home, lazy in their family, they're lazy in their relationship with Christ or something like that. And, and so God sends us people. God sends us people so what? Not for us to be idle so that we can teach their kids and disciple them and serve them and encourage them. And so that one of the things I tell people who join our church often is, I pray that this will be some of your best days growing as a Christian while you're here at Hopewell. And I mean that. I say that to almost everybody who joins here. I pray when they come down forward, one of the things I pray, Lord, I pray some of the best days they've ever had with Jesus will be right here at Hopewell Baptist Church. Warren Wearsby said about these idle people, he said they had time on their hands and gossip on their lips. <laughs> That's a bad combination, right? And so what does he say? Verse 13, and it's for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. It's never a bad time to do the right thing. Even when it's hard, even when you're discouraged, even when things are looking bad. I read a story this last week. In 1965, a mother of two, she was divorced. Um, she found a classified ad ordering, uh, uh, offering a restaurant for sale, mortgaged her house, went all in uh, on this restaurant. She purchased, purchased it and called it Chris's Steakhouse. It was a bold move because back at that time, it was hard for women to even get a bank card without their husband's signature, much less a loan uh, for a restaurant. And so uh, she did, and the restaurant uh, was successful until it burned, and she had to move. And her lawyers found out when she moved location, she could not use 
the name Chris Steakhouse anymore. It was in the purchase group. She couldn't use it except at that location. So Mrs. Artell, who's the one who bought, uh, bought Chris uh, Steakhouse, had nowhere else to go. Uh, she had sold everything. Her restaurant was up in ashes. And uh, so she um, did the only thing she knew to do. <laughs> she decided to use her name and call it Ruth Chris Steakhouse. And she did not get idle, she did not quit, she did not give up, things were against her, environment against her, all that's against her, but she called it Ruth Chris Steakhouse, and of course, you and I both know today what? It's one of the most popular luxury steakhouse chains in the country. That doesn't happen if she quits. Doesn't happen if she's idle. Doesn't happen if she waits for somebody else to fix her problems. And as Christians, we don't want to be idle, we want to do what? Never get tired of doing good. Would you stand please with heads bowed and eyes closed? Heads bowed and eyes closed and we're looking around. I want to encourage you tonight, never get tired of doing good. You say, well, I'm already tired. Yeah, the word tired there just means don't quit. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel on it. Why? It will be eternally worth it. Better said, Jesus is eternally worth not quitting on. And so as we bow in prayer tonight, I just encourage you, Christ is coming back. We don't know when, but he really, really is. And uh, he's going to um, take vengeance on those who don't know Christ, so we need to pray for them. He rewards those uh, who know him and uh, who love him and love his appearing. Uh, and so let's don't get tired of doing good. Let's keep faith that grows. Keep doing the things our faith prompts us to do. That our love for one another will keep increasing and overflowing. And would you ask the Lord right now, what's... What's your biggest takeaway for the day? Praying for God's favor, something from Sunday school and having compassion on people who are different from you, something from discipleship training or from the message tonight. What's the biggest thing God's saying to you tonight? Father, in Jesus.